Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I am Jesse. And I am Josh. And this is a podcast all about helping you save the best and burn the rest of your culture and faith practices. Hmm, this is a podcast. It is a podcast. It is an auditory uh, transmission of voices and music that goes from the computer into your ears. You're not, you're not wrong. Imagine if our intro was says, Welcome back to Burn, Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse, a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then we just started talking. It's like it's like that subreddit r slash technically the truth. <laughs> I, I haven't looked at that one. Yeah, well, it's like, it's just, it's technically correct. This is a podcast. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that wealth of information. Yeah. Yeah, well, I my my dream one day for the podcast is to get to the level where we can just start recording and we don't even have to do an intro. We can't be like, yo, guys, how's it going? Josh and Jesse here. Remember us? Remember us, the personalities? Like, you know, like, like <laughs> when, when Joe Rogan starts his podcast, it's literally a, a sp- that spinning logo and then it's like, are we live? Okay. And then he just starts talking. It's like, I, it's like I am the king of podcasting, so I can literally just start talking. I don't have to give an intro. I don't have to be like, yo, guys, remember me? I'm Joe Rogan. It's like, no, hello, here. Let me start mm. talking about whatever it is I want to talk about. It's like, that's that's what the king does. You know what I mean? <laughs> and us, the plebs. Yeah, yeah. I don't, even, I don't even know if we compare to plebs to Joe Rogan. <laughs> but anyway. We're, we're like, if Joe Rogan had servants, we're like the servants of John Joe Rogan's servants. I would almost go as far to say we're the servants of the servants of Joe Rogan's servants. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I don't even know if we're actually in the same kingdom. No, that's true. I mean, he gets like hundreds of millions of downloads and listens a month, so probably not. <laughs> yeah. But it always it always it's like aim for the stars, you know? So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we're like I don't know. But Joe Rogan, there's there's dozens of us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just, but it's funny because like podcasting is such a. It used to be such a niche thing. Like everybody was was saying, oh, you know, who listens to podcasts? I didn't start listening to podcasts until like three years ago. And podcasting has been around forever. Joe Rogan had done like he'd been he'd done over a thousand episodes before I even started listening to podcasts. Let alone listen insane. to his podcast. You know. Yeah, I remember back when I was at college. Hearing one of the lecturers, good old Chris Body. Do you remember Chris Body? Yeah, yeah. The man, and he would talk about podcasts. And I remember sitting there, I'm like, what? What, what are those? Like he never. Podcasts? He always said how how important they are. And we should listen to them. And I I wish back then, because that's like mm. 2012. Maybe I remember him saying that. And I I, I I wish back then I'd said, what's a podcast? Can you show me how this works? Because I had yeah. an iPhone at the time. I just never really. But I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have been in the right space to to enjoy them anyway like i do now because i think i started listening maybe at the same time as you maybe three or four years ago i can think i know re- i started listening when i was living in melbourne because i started can- listening to the robcast i was about to say can you remember the first podcast that you listened to not like the first podcast episode but like what was the first podcast that got you into podcasting <clears throat> i think i think incidentally it probably would have been a sermon from a church or something I yeah think, i think i remember clicking on something and then it taking me to the app and playing this sermon through the app and i'm like Ugh, get the, what what, what is this? Like, mm-hmm. Why is this taking me to an app? But I think the first like actual podcast I listened to would I think it was Rob Bell. Yeah, the Robcast. I remember. Yeah, I was living in Melbourne at the time, and I remember just being like, I was talking to uh, Mark Craig, who's mm-hmm. still a mentor of mine, and he mentioned something about Rob Bell's podcast. I'm like, man, okay, what, I'm gonna find this podcast. He's like, you should. This episode is really helpful. And so ever since then, yeah. Way I remember back. I think I think my first was a sermon as well. I think it was like North Point or something like that. And oh, yeah. uh or maybe like Willow Creek. Maybe it was like Bill Hybels because I remember one of my old mentors um Wayne Kraus, he used to send us like these sermons and they were on a podcast. Little did I know that 
some of the sermons that I was preaching at his church were also going on podcasts. And oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even realize this. Like they just recorded all their pastors' sermons as podcasts and published them online, but nobody told me. <laughs> so that's so I was, funny. I was looking through the archives one day. I was like, "Wait, that's my name." And then I looked up on YouTube. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, they filmed it as well." Oh, what? <laughs> what? Wow. So, so actually, my church is um they actually put all their sermons. They, they were using like a specific church app before and I don't think it actually mm. went to general podcasting platforms, but I think soon we're wanting to actually move our church's podcast to like actual, I think we're going to host it in Podbean as well, which would be cool. Nice. So yeah, yeah I'm excited. That means I'll be featuring in more than one podcast technically. Ooh. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess we've done interviews and stuff, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's cool. It's like, yeah. No, because I feel like podcasts... Are very much the future and yet it, it's funny how technology works because on the one hand i'm very much aware that podcasting is now the norm like everybody wants to start a podcast all my favorite oh, youtubers yeah, and social media and pastors and even just like random people with something to say you know they I know. all starting i get podcasts. frustrated sort of like there's some people who start podcasts i'm like yes that is awesome but then there's some people <laughs> who start it and i just get frustrated like for example I was actually really frustrated when Casey Neistat started his podcast because I'm like, yeah. you are like the king of visual storytelling. Why would mm. you start a podcast? That makes no sense. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't go on to Casey Neistat's videos just to listen to what he has to say. I go yeah. on because it's like a shared experience between, he does have a little bit of interesting stuff to say, but the way he tells it is super interesting because of the visual storytelling. Yes. So I've never had any, I mean, maybe his podcast is really good. I've but never I listened know. to it I, either. <clears throat> See, that's the thing. I'm like, I don't feel, I don't feel like everybody should start a podcast. I feel like no. everybody should have mediums that they use. Everybody, everybody is a storyteller. Everybody has some way to create art or be tell a story. But it doesn't mean that you, it when when famous people start a podcast, it does feel like a cash grab. Totally. You know? It feels like, oh hey, I'm a famous person. I'm starting a podcast. It's like, I I first started listening to Conan and Brian needs a friend. Um, he's like, hey, oh, I'm right. Conan O'Brien and I don't actually have any friends. And it's kind of doing the whole comedy shtick, you know, how he creates this story. It's it's part of, it's it's almost like a bit. And the podcast is his bit that he has no friends. And so he invites famous people on that he's interviewed to talk. Adam Sandler and um, Kristen Wiig and, um, no, Kristen Bell. And, and, you know, people like that. And I I, I enjoyed it initially, but then... <laughs> There'd be 20, 15, maybe, maybe that's an exaggeration. Maybe not 20 minutes. Maybe like 10, 15 minutes of ads in the middle of the podcast. You know, that mid-roll. Oh my goodness, that really? That mid-roll money, man. And it's, 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 you know, it's Dollar Shave Club. It's, you know, Audible. Dollar it's Shave all this Club. Stuff. That's the dream. <laughs> one day, one day we'll get that Dollar Shave Club. <laughs> that's, but that's what I hate. You know, we were recently talking to, and we'll publish the episode pretty soon, talking to Justin Koo. And he was saying, you know, before he started making money off ads on YouTube, he had what I think he said a hundred episodes or something like that of 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 um, YouTube videos before he actually started making money. And I feel like if you're going to start your podcast right away with ads, just because you're a famous person, it doesn't feel like a podcast. It feels like a here's something that I can do, and I can get my team of lackeys around me to put this together. And then we can make a bit of extra money off the side because of it. That's yep. what it feels like. Totally. <clears throat> totally. It's, I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe we're just a bit too bitter though. I don't know. <laughs> but no, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I think I've heard that. I've heard that sentiment before, like on Reddit and stuff as well. Mm. I mean, it's the same even as when like Will Smith became a YouTuber, you know, yeah. it just feels like, well, I mean, he's a little bit different. There are other celebrities who've done it much worse. This is true. Yeah. I don't know. Like, but then there's celebrities who've done it way better, like Jack Black with um, yeah. Jablonski gaming. I think <laughs> I think Will Smith and Jack Black are like two ends of two sides of the same coin. I think they're good comparison because Jack Jablinski is like that's that's purely out of passion, you know, for his kid who likes gaming and it's just it's fun and it's it's great. Whereas yeah. Will Smith, it's all personality. Yeah, yeah, it is. And Jack Black is good because he has that. And it's sad because Will Smith has a really magnetic personality as well. And that does come out. But I don't know. I feel like Jack, um, sorry, uh, Will Smith is kind of like, hey, look at me. I can become like 
a kind of more fit Steve Harvey sort of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> a more fit Steve Harvey. <laughs> you know how like Steve Harvey, like how Steve Harvey's all like motivational, half preacher. You know what I mean? He's like this no. this old oh, okay. this, this old wise man. You know, the, like the uh, you surely you've seen the Facebook and the YouTube videos of his bits from the middle of his show where he just starts to spout off some oh, random yeah, yeah. truisms or wisdom or whatever. Like I feel like that's what Will right. Smith is trying to do in a way. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. I thought you, I thought you just meant like aesthetically, and I'm like I don't. No, okay. no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Will, Will Smith is trying to steal Steve Harvey's look. <laughs> no. Okay. No. All right. So, um, recently, um, speaking of sharing opinions that aren't grounded on much, no, I'm kidding. No. Um, no, recently I shared on our Burn the Haystack community group um, on Facebook, which we are, if you are not a part of, feel free to join. The password is um, still Poppy Gloria. Yeah. So, join it. Yeah. Jump in. Good, it's a good time. <laughs> if you if you anyway. want to influence what we talk about today, because today is only happening because of somebody in our community, then that's a great reason to join. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's sort of, I mean, it's still at its early stages, but, you know, right now it's really picking up pace. There's more people interacting and stuff. So I think it's really cool. Um, <clears throat> anyway, I made a joke on there. Well, I was semi-joking, but it was actually ended up being really helpful. <clears throat> <laughs> said, guys, we've run out of episode ideas. What are some more haystacks that need to be burned? Um, and I was semi-joking, but anyway, some really good episode ideas came out of it, so it's really cool. But um, one person who I know she's actually been quite engaged with our stuff for a while. Um, I, I haven't met her, and so I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce her name. I think it's Lizette. Lizette, Lizette, some yeah. Lizette, um, please tell us how to pronounce your name because I feel horrible. Uh, but <laughs> she actually put in a really good one that I felt like, oh wow, we actually should talk about that because this flows on from the worship episode we did a little while ago, mm, or the yeah. music episode we did a little while ago. Um, and I just felt like it's something actually we should touch on this now while we're sort of still in that headspace before we go into a whole new season of other stuff. Um, anyway, so she made a comment about lifting hands and clapping during church worship. Mm. Specifically, mm. those two things. Yeah, I mean, she had she had another comment about some other ideas too, which we'll t- we'll probably talk about them at some stage too. Yeah, but yeah, that was just one one comment she had, and I thought, wow, that's actually a really interesting. Um, I guess it's something as a pastor you don't think about as much. Maybe I don't know because yeah, I know I thought about it a lot more when I wasn't a pastor, but now that I am a pastor, I think my mind is just on a whole lot of other things. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> if true. That makes sense. And I think a lot of people think about it in terms of it being a very personal decision, like whether you choose to raise your hands in worship or not. Like, and and I I think whilst it is also, I think whilst it is a personal thing, it's also um, something which is influenced by the culture of your local church, um, for better or Absolutely. for worse. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think as well, I think a lot of people have a lot of ideas around it, um, around clapping, especially around raising hands in you know mm. music or prayer or something mm. i think a lot of people have these ideas and so i actually thought this is a really this actually is genuinely something that will really help people if we can unpack this and clear away a bit of the garbage around it maybe make it a little bit more meaningful um but i guess the snapshot around it at the moment is looking at our current adventist culture <laughs> so depending on the kind of church you go to maybe you go to a church where everybody does it um mm which they're rare in, in Adventism at least. Very but rare. In, in like Pentecostal or charismatic churches or something. It's pretty common. And it's becoming, I think it's becoming more common in more kinds of churches. I, I think it's important to note that this is not just an Adventist thing either, because I think this is also probably fairly indicative of most traditional mainline denominations, whether you're part of a traditional Methodist church or a Baptist church. If you're part of a, a charismatic church, then you'll have a completely wildly different opinion that than most traditional Methodists, Presbyterians, whatever. So I think that's important to note because you might be listening to this as a not an Adventist and you'd be like, well, actually, that's exactly what's going on in my church. Because to be honest, there's there's a lot of similarity across the board when it comes to an issue like worship. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even if you do go to a, a charismatic church or a Pentecostal church or a non-denominational church that's sort of modeled like them, 
Um, I think this would still be helpful to you because it might help. Maybe you've just been doing it, but maybe there's not a lot of meaning to it or maybe, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot. There's always more to unpack with it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I guess this current snapshot, at least from our perspective, because we're both from Adventist churches, um, I see it a lot. I, most of the time I see maybe like if I go to like a larger church, um, I might see two or three people doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often see like young kids looking at those people <laughs> kind of <laughs> curious um, yeah I I know like I, I, I'm I'm somebody who like raises their hands in worship um, since becoming a pastor I don't really we'll talk about this a little bit later but I don't really raise them like right above my head mm. at this stage um, but yeah you do you do the old what carry the TV move yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I do. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean that's mostly because like I'm still new, and so I'm not. If that makes sense, like I'm not like I'm still getting comfortable with my congregation, and I didn't yeah. want to like be a distraction. Yeah, if that makes sense. Which I don't know if that's the right reason or not, but for me in my position, that felt like the right approach. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but most of the time, I mean, I'm one of the few people that do it. Um, yeah, and and to be fair, you know. So for for those people who are familiar with New Zealand, especially North New Zealand and the Manawatu region, you know that um, the church that I pastor, Mosaic, is probably the most if you if if we're being real, probably the most liberal church in the region. And even at my church, it's not like everybody who goes there raises their hand. You know, there are people who will raise their hand and um, clap in worship. But it's usually the same, the same people. And one thing I will note is that when the times, the times in which people feel more, more comfortable to raise their hand and to get more involved and more active in worship, are the times when our high schoolers are at church. When they're not at church, people tend to be a lot more. Um, they hold back a lot more, a little bit more conservative. Right, when, interesting. When, yeah, but when the high schoolers are there, you know, they're they're singing songs like My Lighthouse, which have like all these actions that they do. And so people mm. feel, I feel, they they feel a little bit more comfortable to get involved, to move their body a bit more, um, to clap at the end of the song, which is not something that you see very often. But if it's like a really, you know, getting into it song, people are excited, people are getting into worship, they'll often clap at the end of song the way that you might clap at the end of, a musical item at a concert or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So the high schoolers kind of changed the culture of the and the overall atmosphere. Yeah. Of the church. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's probably a pretty common thing. I guess if if you removed all the young people from a church and then put them back in the next week, you'd probably notice a pretty big culture difference. You would, especially when the, the sort of numbers you're talking about, like when the well, it's well, like an extra forty people or something, isn't it? Thirty. Yeah. It's essentially when our high schoolers come to church. Um, they double the size of the church, if not a bit more sometimes. So it's, it is weird because from week to week, it does feel like I'm pastoring kind of two different churches. One oh, interesting. with the high schoolers and one without the high schoolers. So yeah, it's just, it's just an interesting dynamic. Those of you who live and do ministry and like university and, and high school campuses, you kind of know what that's like. Um, mm. There are your kind of, you kind of regular mainstayers, you're, you know, people who have been here forever and then the the transient people, which are usually your students. It's just a, it's a dynamic you have to navigate. Yeah, totally. Um, but I guess that the case would be in a lot of maybe more rural Adventist churches, um, you you probably wouldn't really see much clapping. No. Be quite frowned upon if somebody clapped in church. Um, you probably wouldn't see much hand raising. Um, it's a very... Um, I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for? It's <laughs> repressed. Uh, I don't know. No, <laughs> no, like um, Victorian, perhaps a little bit more dignified, a, l- a little bit more solemn, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess that would be it. They like would I'd use s- the word reverent, I think. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, which I don't agree with that use of the word, but that's. Yeah, we'll talk about that. I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. Yeah, so maybe. Yeah, a lot more solemn. Um, is a good yeah. word. And you, you'd probably see that in a lot of Adventist churches. At least that's been my perspective from Australia and New Zealand. Obviously, you go into like the cities where the more um, contemporary sort of churches are. It might be a bit different, but often, mm. yeah. But I think it's becoming more common now. So I guess it's a good time to talk about it. 
Um, and even, I guess, have we always been like this? It's a good question. Have Adventists mm. always had a very solemn worship experience? Yeah, yeah. And that question brings up a lot of really, really interesting answers. And I, to be honest, quite uncomfortable answers, especially when you look at our early history, because I think to a large degree, Adventism has really embraced the rise of Christian fundamentalism that came about in the early 20th century. And that has really changed and informed a lot of the way that we do worship, especially the way that we see the Bible, the way that we see God, the way that we kind of conduct ourselves in ministry. But before that, that time period, that early 20th century, when, you know, fundamentalism came in as a reaction to um, Christian liberalism and, you know, things like higher criticism, the, the, the rise of evolution. Before that time period, Adventists were really very different. And it's interesting. I think if you transported a lot of Adventists, especially conservative Adventists living in 2019, back into the 1840s and the 1850s to your typical Advent Sabbatarian church gathering, um, gathering I think they'd be really uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd probably be uncomfortable. Yeah. Mostly because I'd probably be critically underdressed, but... (laughs) 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 Anyway. Um, So, there's a great article that we will link in the show notes, um, which kind of delves into... It's it's titled Enthusiasm in Early Adventist Worship. So, the the title kind of says it all. and it's by Ron Graybill, um, who is a PhD and associate professor of history at La Sierra University. So this is not just some guy who's, you know, it's not an opinion piece. This guy's, you know, we didn't got... write the article, okay? Yeah, it's, got, it's, it's grounded. <laughs> It'd be pretty short if we wrote the article. <laughs> just, just chill out, guys, and be nice to each other. By Josh and Jesse. All right, no. Um, so it, it, it recounts, it's, it opens up with a, um, a gathering that Ellen Harmon was uh, attending. Pre- A.K.A. Ellen White. A.K.A. Ellen White. Um, James White was there, but he wasn't, they weren't, they weren't together. And this is in 1845, February 1845. They were in a farmhouse singing and praising. So, and this is in southern, Ma- northern Maine, sorry. Um, so if you can imagine, you know, a bunch of, you know, Millerite Adventists all in a barn house in Maine. Probably in, pretty blue collar, I'm guessing. Yeah. And this is in February, so this is gonna be cold, cold weather. Oh true, uh, yeah. I didn't I I didn't realise when I read the article, I was like, February, oh man, it must have been like hot. I was picturing like a barn dance. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, we all know that's of the devil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this uh, is like this yeah, is like well, an actual this is like an uh, actual barn dance. Like you know the like a Jesus cold. barn that's dance. That's so cool. I had no oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Changes the story. All right. So if you can imagine these early, early Adventists, eighteen forty five in northern Maine and they're singing and um, they're praising and that people are shouting out and doing all that sort of stuff and Ellen Harmon um, was struck and she goes into vision and mm. James White who at the time was I don't know what their relationship was whether they knew each other whatever but he was at this time a, a Millerite preacher so he had kind of come into the Millerite movement and he would become you know part of their their whole flock and he was you know a a worker for the lord so james white um held her head until a pillow could be found and then all the people around them were like singing and dancing um and then outside according to the story there were a bunch of lanterns that started to come out of the darkness and somebody shouted it's the sheriff so what the sheriff had done, well, somebody, apparently, a neighbor, had complained to the sheriff that these crazy religious people were too rowdy. And so the sheriff had brought his deputies and, you know, whoever to arrest and or to at least, you know, calm them down. So ima- imagine, like, 
if you compared it to today, it's like somebody's having a house party at your local street and somebody calls the cops. That's basically what's happening here. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Except if this is Northern Maine and this is in a barn house, I imagine this is on a property somewhere. So they would have had to be so loud that the neighbor, who probably wasn't that close, it wasn't like houses next to each other, they were getting annoyed. So they, they were being pretty rowdy. Must have been so loud. Yeah. Crazy. So, um, Moulton knocked. So you can read the article. The sheriff knocked. The crowd inside ignored him and they struck up another song. They just kept singing. They ignored the sheriff. They didn't didn't want to know anything about it. And they just kept (laughs) singing. Um, Eventually, they tried to burst open the door and and the people inside, they, they barricaded the door and then eventually they they did get through. They had to snap the latch to the door to get it open. And they kind of barged in, you know, like a sheriff barging into a a, a bar fight or something, you know, here to lay down the law. <laughs> <laughs> um, it says in the article, pushing his way through the crowd, Moulton, the sheriff, confronted the flushed, young shouting Damon who was um, the leader of the meeting Israel Damon and Moulton says in the name of the state of Maine lay hold of this man but after his men were unsuccessful in several attempts to do so the sheriff gave up and called for reinforcements so not only were these early Adventists rowdy but they they were kind of unruly as well. That's <laughs> they, amazing. They couldn't arrest him, so the sheriff had to call for backup just so they could arrest this Israel Damon guy. Um, eventually, um, the sheriff came back with even more troops. I don't know. He you know called up his army reserves or something. We need and- reinforcements. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, they actually. Is succeeded in arresting him and charging him with disturbing the peace. Um, and it's really interesting. He, he finishes off this story saying, There can be no doubt that the meeting that Saturday night in Atkinson, Maine was exciting and that the Adventists gathered there were praising God with such energy and volume that the neighbors were offended. At Damon's trial, a local farmer testified, I have been young And now I am old. And of all the places I ever was in, I never saw such a confusion, not even in a drunken frolic. What? (laughs) (laughs) But despite all the noise and confusion, Ellen White believed that the Holy Spirit was present in that meeting. Remember, she was in vision Mm. during this time. I'm not quite exactly sure what vision it was. I'm sure it was recorded. Um, But yeah, this is... This is early Adventism. This is early Adventist worship. Um, yeah. This is before the time of lights and smoke machines and amplifiers and, you know, they didn't yeah. need any of that stuff to offend their neighbors. They were excited. They were rowdy. They were enthusiastic. They were, you know, all these adjectives. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's it's a really different picture to what I think a lot of people would visualize early Adventist worship as they yeah. yeah like, like have you seen those those old paintings have you seen those old paintings of like ellen white and vision and she's there and it's a very orderly church service and she's kind of got a shining light on her face and she's yep. she's in that's not the picture like it's not it people weren't well dressed and well preened and they weren't bringing their sunday best or their sabbath best to to church it was it was a really rowdy time especially in worship <laughs> yeah well, at least this early on. Um, yes. Because obviously it didn't stay like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, as time went on, this did change. Um, and as, as the decades kind of came along and as Adventism kind of grew and more people joined um, the, the, de- the denomination, the, the style in which people conducted themselves in worship did eventually change. And we see this fairly, um, you know, steady change in the way that people um, conduct themselves in worship. I think the the big thing is the more and more people who are more well-educated came from different parts of America and eventually the world, um, 
as they came into the church, the church began to change and morph in many different ways. And in only, you know, one small part of that was worship. Because you got to remember, when Advent, when Adventism started, it was not a, a faith for the well-educated. It wasn't a faith for the elites. It wasn't a faith for the, for the, for the academic. It was, it was blue-collar. It was northern farmers and, you know, mountain men, people living in these rural pastoral communities. And so what I, my theory at least is what a lot of them did is they simply sort of traded in their bar songs for these worship songs. And we see this in, in a lot of early Adventist hymn writing. They were not afraid to adapt some of the more popular bar songs of the, of the time, like current, like not like a hundred years ago, like current popular mm. music, what could be only described as pop music in the 1850s yeah. to Christian songs about Jesus. Um, and, and we so, still have some of those in our hymnal today, which if you read yeah. the article, you'll see which ones. I can't remember which ones they are off the top of my head because I'm not looking at the article right now. But yeah, um, yeah. I think as well, something to note is that that early picture of Adventist worship was like, they were all quite, quite young. Like, obviously, this is mm. before Ellen and James were married. Um, and like a lot of the leaders of Adventism were quite youthful. Mm. Um, there weren't, the only, the only older one was um, uh, old mate, the sea Bates. captain. Yeah, Joseph Bates. So, yeah. um, like a lot, of, it was a very youthful worship back then um yeah. everything that they did was very youthful and they had that that youthful energy to it so i think it did partly change because they got older mm. um, they grew a lot of the leaders grew up um and i think a lot of them as well they kind of at the beginning they had this this joyous expectation that jesus was literally coming soon like jesus was yep. just around the corner and he was about to return and even after the great disappointment they still, I think a lot of them had that. Like Jesus may not have come in 1844, but he's still going to be, he's still going to return in our lifetime. You yeah, know? It's, that, it's that imminent like expectation. It's like, it's right here. So they were excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, maybe over time, <laughs> as he still didn't come, they maybe lost a bit of that zeal. I'm not sure. Um, could be. Never explicitly says that. And I think there's always an expectation that he's coming soon, but I think maybe it's like, I don't know, when you're getting old and you thought you were going to see Jesus in your lifetime. Mm. I don't Mm. know. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, It says in the article here, going down a bit, except for speaking in tongues and laughing in the spirit, dozens of examples could be cited of any of the types of experiences described above. So stuff like, um, uh, whatchamacallit, holy kiss, um, being slain in the spirit, um, a, a form of a form of speaking in tongues, I, not probably not quite what we would think of when we think today. Um, probably harder to tell because they wouldn't have known as many languages back then. So, yeah, yeah. But it, if nobody it, in the room knew the language, then I guess it would be. Oh, that's interesting. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it isn't. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a little bit difficult to tell because they had a form of of speaking in tongues that. I think some people accepted, some people don't, but it was it's a little bit harder to kind of define. Um, one of the things that really struck out to me was that when they were all together in worship, they were all together in worship. You know, like they were not, they, they weren't just sitting there while one professional did all the proceedings. Like they all mm. participated. Um, it says here, in the 1840s and 1850s, many Sabbath-keeping Adventists, like their Methodist neighbors, interesting, were busy beating back the enemy with their enthusiastic singing and fervent shouts of glory, hallelujah, praise God, and blessed Jesus. Yeah, I love that. And that, like, there's a, because there's an Ellen White quote where she's like, the loud praises and singing beats back the devil. Yes. And I'm like, that is so, like, old school revival. I love it. And I yes. love that Ellen White said that. You know what I mean? And I'm like... But how often do we say now that oh, it needs to be reverent and yes. orderly? So we. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is what she says. None of you should keep silent in your meetings. Surely everyone who has tasted of the powers of the world to come can say something in the honor of the lovely Jesus. So it's like 
if you yeah. have tasted in the kingdom that's coming, like if you oh, if you are excited for Jesus' soon return, if you're excited for the kingdom of heaven and, you know, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, surely you have something to say. And so nobody should be like sitting back, not participating. Like it's, it's, it's wow. <laughs> it's wow. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, a few things changed over time. Obviously, they aged, like we mentioned. The denomination grew bigger. Got people who were from very different walks of life. Um, also, the um, Civil War happened. Mm. Neither of us are American history experts, um, so I don't know a lot about the Civil War and the effects it had on America. Um, but it, this article talks about how they changed like even the Methodists and um, the Adventist worship gatherings they both used to be louder more loud and rowdy and both of them got a lot more subdued after the Civil War so yeah Americans listening I don't know maybe you can look into that or maybe you'd understand that a little bit more but Mm. um, yeah I I found that pretty interesting Um, and I guess over time their their picture of worship changed the way Ellen White spoke of it changed as well yeah um, yeah, which is interesting in itself. Yeah, it's in- it's interesting because in those early days, she was all enthusiasm and fire and you know, yeah, yeah, holy, you know, shouting and praise. But then as as she matured as a person, um, she became a little bit more reflective and a, a lot more cautious of you know making big bold proclamations, which is kind of it's just it's kind of just understandable for the way that people grow and the way that people mature when they age that just makes perfect sense yeah and i mean there there were i think they had bad experiences as well there were people who um i think they saw a lot of people who would try and look all spiritual in the worship mm. time but really they didn't have it it wasn't grounded in anything yeah um there was the holy flesh movement which i think we've talked about here on the podcast before yeah um just how that was unfolding and a lot of bad theology coming out of that. So I think a lot of things made them a little bit more cautious. And maybe if maybe if they didn't have those experiences, maybe they maybe they never would have changed. I don't know. Um, mm. It's it's interesting, but it's I just find it interesting that all that is within our Adventist DNA. You know, yeah, yeah, that, that's still uh, a part of us. There's there's one really kind of funny and also kind of awkward part of this, which is early Adventists kind of really embraced this whole idea of greeting each other with a holy kiss. And yeah, <laughs> I'm not quite sure what exactly that means. Like, was the holy kiss on either. the cheek? Was it on the lips? Uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but apparently... Like a holy yeah. French kiss. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> but it's funny because she says in one place, the holy kiss sometimes lost its holiness, as in the case of Brother Pearsale who was indiscreet in its practice and made but little difference as to the time and place. What does that mean? I don't, I don't know. Character. It sounds really creepy and kind of What gross. happened? I don't know. I want to know. Yeah, me too. But, but apparently, I don't know, we, I think, yeah, we, we kind of lost that a little bit. Yeah. It's a, it's a shame that I guess some people's bad actions sort of, I don't know, messed around with the way we did worship. Mm. Um, but I guess that's part of life. Uh, yeah, I think I think the Holy Flesh movement was one of the biggest things that kind of hurt the way that we experience exuberant worship. Because almost, I think it's ever since the Holy Flesh movement, Adventists have been really kind of, they really pulled back and they really, they they strayed from, okay, well, look, this is this is unacceptable and we're just going to come back and do what's what's safe over here. And I think part of that, as you mentioned before, was due to the fact that what was once a you know, a, a movement of just a few hundred, maybe a few thousand people in northern United States had become this global movement um, with all these different cultures and all these really interesting, complicated elements that came all together to, to make this church what it was. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and, and I think that's like a really special thing that we grew and became so multicultural. Um, I, I I just... I. F- I think, though, part of the issue came as well in later times when um, I think people got a little bit overly cautious with worship and their worship was defined by fear rather than um, rather than good theology, I guess. <laughs> mm. Yeah, um, yeah. 
Because a lot of people got so scared that they were going to fall into something like the Holy Flesh movement again that they would just say, okay, we have to just be super staunch and, and reverent, reverent, reverent. It's got to be reverent, whatever this word means, reverent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you want to touch on that while we're on it? Because I know uh, you mentioned it before. I, just, I don't even know what to say about it, but I just I get really frustrated when people use the word reverent around worship because it's just become such a loaded word. Um, well, well, I think for me, I always grew up thinking that, okay, well... The, the way that it was explained to me was if you were going to meet the king or the queen, what would you, how would you conduct yourself? And that was the way that we, I was taught and my peers uh, was the appropriate way to respond to God in worship in the sanctuary. And but you see, I don't think that's, I don't think that's a good understanding of reverend because like meeting with, like connecting with God, you aren't always like he's king, but he's also father and he's mm. also friend. You Jesus know, it, is our brother. Yeah, it's totally different to meeting with a disconnected king like we do in our culture. Like if I went and met with the queen or if I met with the prime minister or something, I would have a very different mindset than if I came over to your house and hung out, obviously. Yes. But meeting with God and connecting with God, there's sort of almost something in between those. It's, it's a lot more multi-layered, and it also applies. It also implies that when we go into the church sanctuary or the church auditorium, that's when we meet with God. We don't meet with God outside hmm. of that at different times. It's when we go into that space at that holy hour that's when we can meet with God. Yeah, see, that's bad. That's bad theology. <laughs> if yeah. you're gonna be super solemn in that space, then I feel like you need to be super solemn in every space. Does that make sense? Like yeah. every time you, I don't know. Like for me, I mean, the word to revere something is to show a deep respect. Yeah. Um, but you don't always show a deep respect by sitting down, being quiet and shutting up. Mm. You, mm. you show a deep respect in lots of ways, I think. Mm. Um, and it's very, it is cultural, but it's also, um, it's also personal. Like I like I'm an extroverted personality type, or like what what am I ENFP or something? And sure. you're what are you I INFJ, INFJ. So even our personality types, I think we're going to show our friendship and respect in different ways to people. Yeah, um, yeah. And even yeah. like some people are just more emotional than others. This is true, and they show <laughs> they show that, and that's what I think part of this when. Part of this has to do with emotions a lot too. And the fact that I think a lot of Adventists and probably other denominations too have feared, almost feared emotions because your your relationship with God has to be intellectual. You have to intellectually know who God is and understand His truth. You can't do it by emotions. Um, whereas there, I think there has to be both in there. It is an emotional response, because, I mean, you read the Psalms and that's literally just all emotions. <laughs> but there is obviously some some weight in there because David, when he was writing a lot of those poems and going through a lot of those emotions with God, he still grounded it on the same promises of God. So mm. I think there's, there's an understanding we have to have that both our emotions and our intellect play a role in the way we connect to God and we can't yeah. subdue that. Yeah. Know, that's that's yeah. me going on a rant. I think I think the church has really struggled with creativity and the creatives, quote unquote, in general. And yet, a lot yes. of what we have and the way that we interpret our faith, even if you are the most uncreative, by the numbers, binary, zero 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 one type person, <laughs> even if you're There's that only guy, only ever two zeros in a, a row, Jesse. Oh, I'm sorry. That just shows how creative I am. I don't care. I break <laughs> the rules. Oh, look at me. Anyway. <laughs> Even that sort of person is influenced by creatives of the past. Depending on whether even, you know, it doesn't matter whether they're affected by creatives that created a piece of music five years ago or 500 years ago, you know. Mm. For the person who hates contemporary worship and doesn't want to raise their hands and yet they love the Wesley hymns and the Luther hymns and, you know, those, those sorts of, you know, old old songs, they're still being influenced by a creative soul. Um, yeah, totally. Somebody who is allowed to show their 
emotions and understanding of God through a creative act. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So, with that in mind... Yes. I should add as well, though, this whole hand-raising and clapping thing, it's not just a music thing. It's Mm. It's an overall worship because... They've got they're just as tied into prayer as they are with like worship and singing, if that makes sense. What do you mean by that, Josh? <laughs> okay. Well, okay, so biblically, right, if we're just gonna be in the Bible, a lot of the time well, hand raising is mentioned I think four times, and for some reason I didn't write down the fourth example, I only wrote down three. Oh why would terrible. I do that to myself? Anyway, I'm sure if you Google it it's not hard to find and it's pretty similar to these. Um but often like, oh no, yeah, that's right. It's in, um, I think it was in Leviticus. Um, but it's about the priests. When they pray, they mm. were expected to raise their hands as they prayed. Okay. Yeah. So often you don't see a lot of the, the arm, the hand raising thing is often connected to prayer, but it's also in the Psalms. So that implies that whether they're poems that were being read or they were songs that were being sung, there was hand raising involved there. Like Psalm 63 verse four says, I'll bless you as long as I live and your name, I'll lift up my hands. Wow. Uh, And Psalm 141 verse two says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Hmm. Then first Timothy two, eight says, I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So does that mean that only men can lift up holy hands? (laughs) Uh, I don't, I don't think that's what they're implying. I don't know. <laughs> no, no. A lot, of the time, think it means, a lot of the time when they use that word, it's implying brothers or like brothers or men. It's like men and everybody else. But we're only going to mention the men because the men are the important ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's just how they thought in that today. ancient culture. Yeah. Um, and so, and I don't think it also means that every time you pray, you have to lift up, lift up your hands. But I think what the Bible, the Bible also talks about kneeling it does talk about clapping hands. It talks about a multitude of... The, the reality is our our posture and the, the way we move our body has something to do with our inner feelings. Um, and mm. I don't think we can untie that connection. I think mm. that is just hard... Like God's hardwired us in that our outside is connected to our inside. Mm. Um, that's That's, I think, one of the things that frustrates me the most. It's like... When people say, oh, no, well, you can still show reverence and praise and, you know, joy without, you know, doing all these crazy things, you crazy person. Why would you clap your hands (laughs) and dance? (laughs) You know, it's like, no, I can be spiritual and I can be praising God and I can show my reverence and my awe and my love and respect and all this sort of stuff without, you know, being un... What is it? Un... <laughs> um, mm. What's what's that word that, that that David uses when he's dancing naked as they bring the ark back into Jerusalem? Um, undignified. Oh right, yeah. Right, and his wife gets all upset. Like David, you're you're the king, and you're dancing in the street naked, and you're singing these praises to God. That is the most undignified thing. Put some. I mean, she's not wrong. It's pretty, put some. Pretty yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like put some damn clothes on, man. <laughs> And then David's like, no, I, I will be even more undignified because of the way that I want to show my praise to God. And that, it, people don't like, like, I've, I haven't heard a sermon on that, uh, you know. <laughs> no, like, well, that's, that's, I think, the thing. I mean, this is even connected to, to like, dancing in praise as well. Mm, um, yes. He, yeah. And there's just so much here that I think people have gotten caught up in and it's all been based on fear. And I think it's fair enough. Like, I think that you, you do have to be wary because people can be, people can lift their hands, people can clap, um, but that can be, and just to look more spiritual. Yes. I mean, I've seen it myself in certain places when there's somebody with a, I don't know, a, what, like a, a esteemed in a spirit, in a spiritual, I don't know, how do you say it? It's like, there's like some guest preacher from overseas or something mm. and all of a sudden somebody who's always super solemn and grumpy in worship has got their hands up and they're clapping and they're looking like the most spiritual person in the room oh, like, I, there's I, a saw way this, that- I saw this in reality like when I was at college I remember going to some of the churches around Avondale and you know it's traditional Adventist worship but then you take those same people and you take them down to Hillsong in Sydney and suddenly they're dancing and they're clapping and they're raising their hands and they're doing everything because everybody's doing it in that environment. And so it's like, okay, this is what I do here. When I'm at home, I'm stiff as a board. 
mm. and I sing the hymn. But when I'm at a Hillsong, I'm dancing in the in the pews and I'm clapping my hands and I'm doing my thing because that's yeah. what we do here, you know. And it's not spiritual. They're not making that decision. They're just doing what everybody else is doing. Well, no, I I, I disagree with that because I think what we're talking about here is two thi- two different things. What I was talking about is people doing it to look more spiritual in front of somebody else. I think what you're talking about is sort of there's a culture around where people are comfortable to do it. But I like think it maybe could be those both. people naturally could be would always worship like that if they were always in an environment where it was comfortable where they were comfortable to do it. But in their home church they're not comfortable to do it, so they don't do it. Okay, well yeah. You might be right. It is it's hard to make judgments based on a group of people. But I do still think that people generally will do things to fit in rather than because this is what I feel is appropriate for me. So that's why I I respect people who go to a conservative church and who still raise their hand, even when everybody gives them dirty looks, because that's what they feel is the way that they want to worship. I respect that more than somebody who will worship based on how everybody else is worshiping. Like, I feel like that is, that's just, just trying to fit in. Well, yeah, sure. But then there is also the element of your, if you worship super loud and, and energetically and charismatically to the point where it's like a distraction in a smaller church or something, or even, I mean, I've been in a church before and, oh man, it's like a pretty quiet church. And then up the back, there's, you know, a sister, Dorothy or whatever I don't know what I'm just making up a name and she's at the back like mm, amen just in like everything and it's to the point where it's actually okay maybe she is being true to herself but it's actually distracting on everybody else here people are getting frustrated because she's so loud I can't even hear what the, the I can't even hear the piano playing because she's yelling amen so loudly you know or yeah, so, yeah. I don't know I think I maybe there is something in there too but I think yeah. uh, okay. I I should say we should we should unpack some theology around lift, like why would you lift your hands? Because yes. I think a lot of people don't understand this. They think it's just something spiritual people do, or charismatic people do, um, or people who are faking it. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding>. um, <laughs> but there are there are a number of of things that lifting hands actually means. And in the Bible, it doesn't exactly describe you know. Do the hands have to be over your shoulders? Do they have to be over your head? Do they have to be out front? Um, like it doesn't it doesn't really say, and I, I kind of like that. But it talks about your palms being face up. I think at one point, um, your hands being up. So I, I, basically, the idea of lifting up of hands, I think it means a multitude of things. Mm. Um, and so from a psychological perspective, um, I remember one day sitting at a playground on a swing because I do that sometimes to clear my head because I like swings <laughs> cool, cool, <laughs> and man. I remember I was kind of reflecting on some things and I remember seeing this um, kid and I didn't realise that he just all of a sudden was standing there and then he just put both of his hands up above his head and that's all he did he just stood there and was looking and I didn't realise mm. but his dad was like standing sort of he was behind this tree so I couldn't actually see him so I just saw this kid lifting up his hands like, what's he doing and then I just saw his dad walk out from behind the tree and pick him up and I'm like Oh, that's interesting. It's like the kid knows that if I lift my hands, like my dad will know that I need him, that I want him to pick me up. And I thought that's just an interesting, like all kids do that. You know, like all all kids. It's not, you don't even have to really teach it to them, I don't think. Um, and so I don't know, maybe there's something psychological in there that as we lift our hands, we're like kind of, it's appealing to the father side of God that we're mm. like, lift me up take me i mm. i just want you right now mm. um which is really cool another another thing is that lifting hands psychologically to people universally like if i came in and you know i threatened you probably the first thing you do is lift up your hands it's a surrender mm. it's an act of surrender um and that's just what we also want to do we want to surrender to god and then lastly um the bible talks a lot about the uh, like entwining the way we out what are we what am i saying celebration is a big is a big part of connecting to god we actually celebrate to god i mean you think of um when jesus entered the city 
and people were just yelling and celebrating and they're laying down leaves and all that kind of thing. Those are all very cultural practices. Mm. But there's an idea that we actually need to celebrate God. And you don't, I mean, you if, don't celebrate by just standing still and, and being silent. Yeah, I know. Like, what would frustrate me is when I see people who are really super solemn in church, but then you take them, then you go and watch like soccer at their house, and they are like off the chain every time their team passes the ball to another teammate. You know what I mean? Like, any little thing, and they're just like, yeah, hands above their head, they're screaming, they're yelling. And I get it. Maybe they just want to have a different relationship to sports than they do to God. But I'm like, clearly, you are somebody who expresses victory by yelling and by standing up by getting excited, happy, jumping around and lifting your arms above your head. But then the greatest victory on this planet, you won't even, or in this universe, and you won't even celebrate that in the same way you do when somebody kicks a ball. Like for me, that just seems like a crazy mental disconnect. If there's something worth celebrating, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that we can have in him. That's like, that's worth all the energy, all the effort and all the enthusiasm that your body, soul and spirit can muster. Yeah, and so I think I don't, I don't, I don't understand that personally. I mean, fair. Everybody, everybody's different, and everybody has different emotional ways they connect to God and whatever. But and like different ways that they would show emotion. I mean, I know people who love watching sports, but they just they sit there and just watch it, and they'll just if something good happens, they're just like a tiny shake of the fist. (laughs) You know, yeah. Some people, some people just don't show that much enthusiasm and emotion. Some people just like that. That's fine. Yeah, totally. And I think, I think, I think what, what we need is actually people to be authentic to themselves um, in how they're wired and how they connect to God. And I think that's part of the, this part of what we were talking about before. I think we actually need to create churches where there's a culture where if people are comfortable to lift their hands or to jump around, they can. They don't feel mm. pressured like this is not okay. But we need to make places where people can worship God in a way that is real to them. Yes. And I think my biggest struggle when it comes to raising my hands, clapping, even dancing in church, I have always, almost always, and this is going to sound so wrong, I've almost always been motivated by what other people think of me, not based on what I feel like God is wanting me to engage with at the time when it comes to, do I raise my hands? Do I clap my hands? Do I do a little bit of a dance in the pews when <laughs> the, the music is kind of getting a little bit more rowdy? Like, what are people going to think of me? And that was, you know, that's like, that's the classic sort of teenager thing. You want to be accepted and you want to be cool. And so you do things that you think people are going to think you're cool because you've done them. But ultimately that's, we know at in our heart of heart, that's not what it's all about. You know, it's mm. it's a personal thing. It's and it should be, it should be something which is down to the individual, within reason, to be able to make that decision whether we do this or whether we don't do this. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you and I, we express ourselves very differently. I mean, even as we record a podcast, I'm waving my hands all the time talking because <laughs> it's yeah. the way I talk. I use my hands. I'm pretty much Italian, you know. I'm sorry for any Italians. We actually do get some listeners from Italy, so I'm really sorry. But, um, but I, you know, that's just I'm very I'm a very expressive person. So for me, yeah. I feel like I need to adequately express myself. And so even when I'm at home by myself and when I pray, believe it or not, I clap my hands and I lift my hands because that's mm. just how I am. And so I always mm. want to try and be authentic to that, and I want to do the best I can to create an atmosphere of worship in my church at least for that hour mm. where people can come in and they feel like they can be themselves in a communal yes. setting. Yes. And that's um, the thing. I don't do that stuff, but why would I judge Josh for doing that stuff? That it just seems dumb and it seems Yeah. It seems hypocritical. If I if I have a certain way that I feel comfortable worshiping and that I feel I can give my authentic self to God. Why would I deny somebody else that way? Just because it's different to the way that I do it. And I guess that, <laughs> yeah. you know, a lot of what we talk about, really, honestly, when it comes to Burn the Haystack and when it comes to our church conversations, so much of what we talked about, talk about, whether it's worship or church or whatever it might be, it just simply comes down to, hey, 
my way is better than yours. So you should stop doing the way that you do things so that you can do the way I do things. And that's where we come in going, no. And I just, maybe that's just like what we just need to be like every episode. Hey guys, everybody's different. Allow them to be different. Okay. We'll be back next week <laughs> to remind you. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that's, so including our new intro, which is welcome back to Burn the Haystack, a podcast. <laughs> Remember, everyone's different. All right, bye. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like, like Max, a great podcast. Yeah. It's like Max Licato's You Are Special. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um I think I think we've covered everything we yep. need to. I'm just gonna check my notes. I mean we could go into there's there's so much more when it comes to the the spiritual practice of in worship the church you know we haven't even touched on medieval church history we haven't even touched on like the first century um stuff like you know the christian hymnody how people actually start to write hymns you know the gregorian chants um some of the jewish folk and worship songs that um that we we see recorded some of the the early early church stuff like the the hymn in ephesians the hymn in colossians the hymn in first mm-hmm. corinthians the all that sort of stuff like the um the creeds and all that sort of there's so much more we could talk about but yeah if you guys want to talk more about that we can just let us know yeah totally um and i think some practical wisdom as well maybe you go to a church that is very um you, you don't feel like you can worship how you truly see fit um or like what is authentic to you and but the because the culture just isn't there um if it's only you and everybody else is worshiping how they authentically worship and you're the only one i don't know there might be a bit of a challenge there i would still say um just just start even starting small uh, <laughs> Like just to help create a culture where, hey, if somebody else wants to, they can see that you're doing something that's a little bit different to everyone else. So they feel like they can be a little bit more authentic to themselves if they're different. Um, But really, you do have to be mindful of the people around you because you don't want to just jump straight into clapping, stomping your feet, throwing chairs over and stuff because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. John Cena yeah. because really <laughs> the focus the focus isn't you the focus is God and you want everybody yeah. to have that focus on Jesus on on God their creator um, mm. so I don't know we have to do our best to make it so that people can do their best to focus in an authentic way uh, that's not just for you it's for everybody which is a challenge obviously in itself and it, it requires leadership within you and um, mm, to be very aware of your surroundings, yeah. but it also does require a bit of boldness to just say, "Hey, you know what? I've, I'm just I can't just be like a upright ironing board anymore when I'm here. I have to be like I want to be myself." Mm. Um, so yeah, there is a bit of a room where you have to move and you have to be a little bit bold. You have to be willing to have people be like, "Hey, I saw you. Uh, I saw you lift your hands a little bit there. Are you, are you okay? You're not possessed, or you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't think anybody <laughs> will think you're possessed." Um, but I'd also say, and I, I just want to affirm, you know, if you are in a, that church where you feel like you can't do uh, worship the way that you feel authentically you, you want to, or if you're in a place where it's just not appropriate at this time, you know, Sabbath morning, Sunday morning, it's not the only time you can worship. You can worship whenever you want. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and a small group is amazing as well, even yeah. if you want to still have do, do it with people around. Some of my most amazing worship experiences have been in the car, you know, driving somewhere. And that that song comes on that's just totally your jam and you're singing at the top of your lungs. And even this robot, Jesse, um, gets emotional, <laughs> you know. That's actually really? one of the... Yes, you know, music is one of the few things that actually gets me emotional. Like, I don't, I don't, I think I've mentioned this before. I, I remember the last time I cried, it was when I broke my toenail off. And that was because it was so painful. Even my wife has never seen me cry, but you know what? Music gets me emotional. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I've said it I now. wonder if it's like your, your introverted self that you're more willing to be emotional when you're totally by yourself than with other people around even. I think so, I because even when, there's, even when there's Karina in the car with me and a song comes on that I know that I would be singing along to, I kind of hold back a little bit still. And it's, interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Oh, there was one other thing I was going to say. Oh, one last thing. Um, I think it's important to just quickly talk about stigma as well. Um, I think mm. people have a stigma to something like hand raising or cl- clapping in church and they've sort of have a big association with that. I know we're sort of running mm. run, running close to time when we need to finish, but I just thought this is important to bring it up while we're in the episode. People have a lot of stigma around like something like hand raising and, and clapping are often, and I don't think this is really warranted, but often people have a stigma where they instantly connect that to a whole lot of other theology, such as the Holy Flesh Movement, such as, um, I don't know, maybe for them speaking in tongues is a really well, big deal. A lot of people, a lot of people connect to the Holy Flesh Movement without even understanding the Holy Flesh Movement. They'll just bring up a random Ellen White quote, and it's about the Holy Flesh Movement. But they don't know, and they don't yeah. care. Yeah, true. Um, so I think it is important that as a I think for us as a culture, um, specifically speaking to Adventism right now, I think we need to actually reclaim some of those things that were taken by those those with theology that we disagree with or like heresy, mm. that sort of thing. I think we actually need to reclaim those things because part of that is that we've lost a lot of great spiritual practice out of this fear of that stigma. So I think for us, we actually do need to work on reclaiming those things so that we can have a holistic spiritual practice and and culture in our church that is warm that's not fear-based that is well i guess fear of god based <laughs> hey but um <laughs> you know what i mean but it says it's it's a place where people can come and, and feel comfortable and and worship and yes no i don't expect everybody to lift their hands in a mm. congregation or whatever mm. i don't expect everybody to clap or whatever i just want the people who feel like that's them to be able to do that okay you could listen the, to this that's yeah you could listen to this podcast <laughs> and go you know what Raising hands isn't for me. And if you figure that out and that's part of what your authentic self is, then I think that's a win as well. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So that is our episode on um, be, uh, on uh, hand raising, on <laughs> clapping, on, I don't know, all those things, holy flesh. Ne- next next week kiss. on the podcast, we're going to talk about stomping your feet and dancing in worship. <laughs> <laughs> We uh, honestly didn't even touch it. Well, we touched a little bit on dancing, but I think all the same principles apply. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we would love to know your thoughts. So please get in contact with us, send us an email. Doesn't even if you're listening to this like four years after the fact, we love to hear from you. Absolutely. And um, if you would like to engage more with Burn the Haystack, we would love it if you would head over to um, burnthehaystack.org. That's where all the links are to our social, where you can find the best way to listen to the podcast, depending on whether you're on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it. We got it. Um <laughs> Uh, and if you have been listening for a, uh, a little while, please subscribe and um, leave us a rating or a review on your podcatching app of choice. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is Josh and Jesse out. Thank <laughs> you.